Welcome to Beneath the Armour podcast, the place where healthcare professionals talk about what it's like to be them in this challenging field, and a place where listeners can come to feel connection through shared experience. Welcome to episode number seven of Beneath the Armour podcast. In today's episode, I talk to Danny Hills. He's an associate professor and deputy dean of the School of Health at Federation University, which is in Ballarat, Victoria. I came across Danny on the Men's Australian College of Nursing website where he was discussing what it's like to be a man working as as a nurse. I got in touch with Danny several weeks back. We had an initial conversation and we decided to go ahead and record an episode for the podcast. In this episode, I had a really great time talking with Danny. We covered lots of different topics. We talked a bit about his research, looking at violence and aggression in the workplace for nurses. I asked him about his personal experience of this and he talks about some of the skills and techniques that he found that he actually possessed, which helped him in pretty tricky situations when he was working in environments such as mental health, where patients may be potentially a little bit more reactive, given that they might be being held against their own will. We talk about Danny's strategy for career development. I asked him how he's moved around his jobs and sort of some of the reasons why he's moved and that sort of thing. And he talks about having quite a clear vision for what he wanted and being quite opportunistic. And we talk about our shared feeling that our relationship with our wives has been really instrumental and important for both of us in both our personal and professional sort of development and growth. He talks about how his relationship with his wife is like being in a team and how they've consciously decided together about where they're going to move next in their careers and in their jobs. Danny talks about his old rock and roll days from back when he was in his 20s and how more recently he's had an opportunity to reignite some of this by someone approaching him to actually publish and release some of his old music, which is exciting. Danny talks about still having a wild side. Danny reflects on the fact that whilst his identity may have shifted when he sort of moved into nursing, he still feels very much the same person now as when he did when he was younger. Despite Danny's position of seniority at Federation University and all of the things he's achieved, he really comes across and is a very understated and and humble sort of person. And I actually reflect back to him in this conversation how where he's discussing some of the successes that he's had, that it seems to me that he possesses quite a few skills in the sort of realm of emotional intelligence, which are really valuable and important in the work that we do in healthcare, which not everyone necessarily possesses. Despite the fact that Danny is a nurse by background, this conversation really doesn't go into heavy details about nursing in particular and is quite wide ranging and talks about a number of different topics. I hope it will appeal to a number of listeners. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Danny Hills. Danny, welcome to Beneath the Armour podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Excellent. Um, so to begin with, I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about, um, well, you've just made a, a recent big move in terms of, uh, I suppose, with your career, you're in a new role. So it'd be good just to hear a little bit about where you're at now in your career, what's going on and um, where you are in the world as well. So there be, might be some international listeners that so maybe just describing a little bit about where you're located and that sort of thing. Sure. Um, well, actually, I just passed my second anniversary in this role as as uh, associate professor at uh, Federation University. My uh, base is in Ballarat in uh, Victoria, which is 120 kilometres. <coughs> excuse me, west of Melbourne, and uh, at the moment I'm in St Kilda, which is an inner city area of uh, Melbourne. Very 
you know, it's on Bayside and a little bit grungy. I kind of like both those, the country uh, and the city. It's a great, it's a great combination. Although at the time of speaking, we're under kind of a lockdown. Feels a bit like martial law sometimes, but um, you know that's just because we're all getting a bit frustrated with uh, not being able to do very much and not being able to travel and things. So, um, but look, you know, everything else is good. Uh, recently, uh, look, well, let's say last year, one year ago, I, it just disappeared. I was appointed deputy dean and I've just finished a two-month stint as acting dean. And uh, what a time to be acting dean in the School of Health at uh, our university with all of the COVID-19 shenanigans. So it's been, you know, it's been a challenge for everybody, but it, Luckily, I have a really great team and uh, my uh, my dean who acted up to the next position up, uh, she's fabulous and we have a wonderful working relationship and it's just really, even though the uh, challenges are there, uh, it's quite a joy to be working in, in this role and with the people I work with. Hmm, so, yeah, that's, that's where the situation is here. Uh, at the moment, I'm a registered nurse. I started many years ago uh, in the in my late 20s and uh, worked in clinical areas for quite a long time mainly in mental health but also in clinical governance and eventually I got around to doing my PhD uh, and moved across into academia I've, well you know that process started in about 2009 so 10 or so years ago and here I am now mm. So there's, there's a couple of things that I'd love to sort of dig into today, um, kind of following on from when we spoke last time. One thing that I'm really curious about is um, obviously your research that you've done with respect to violence in the workplace, um, for, particularly for, for nursing staff experiencing violence and, and incivility as well. And I, I'm actually really curious to hear about your own personal experience of, of that, um, or, you know, in different settings you've worked in. So whether you've yeah personally experienced violence and, um, yeah, any specific examples you could tell me about? Well, when I started nursing, which was in uh, 1984, uh, it was the last round of hospital-based training and I worked, my job was in mental health, so I was in, a, in an acute mental health facility and, uh, you know, it's, it's not to say that people with mental illness are more violent, but uh, certainly if you're locking people up against their will, which is part of the role of acute psychiatric services, not all, all aspects, but certainly some of the wards are about people who are acutely mentally ill. They are often disgruntled with the situation. So, yeah, there's a there's a higher risk of aggression for sure. Mm. Um but I think one of the things about the training that we did then was it was all about de-escalation. So we learned a lot about working with people and uh, trying to uh, de-escalate raised uh, feelings, raised emotions and dealing with tensions. And uh, we sometimes used uh, a technique where uh, a lot of people turn up when there's an incident and, of course, when there is a lot of people there who are dressed in uniforms that often calms people down mm. uh, and re I think not that usually we had to resort to using physical force to restrain people but 
I think that's the main thing. It was about learning how to communicate. And I think if you've already had the trust of people, it made a big difference. And uh, that was, I guess, what I learned very quickly there in that in those early years of my nursing career. Of course, um, uh, aggression and violence is all around. I worked earlier as a musician and, uh, you know, that could sometimes be the case when thing, people got a bit hot under the collar or drunk too much or whatever. So you sometimes saw it there. But I think uh, as I've gone through my career and even during a period of time where I was doing martial arts, um, mm-hmm. You, I think the main thing is that you try to avoid confronting situations. Not, I'm not saying that you run away, but that you look out for your, in your environment and try and manage that. Uh, so, um, yes, that was a, a key aspect uh, that prompted me around my research. And I think where it really came to the fore was when I moved from working in mental health services and took on a what I call a clinical governance role. It was, we called it quality improvement back then and then it became patient safety, but it was really all of those. It was about setting up proper systems to ensure that we had safe and high quality care. So um, I realised that there was a particular gentleman who was causing issues for nursing staff in a ward and, you know, for me, I found him okay. I just talked to him and... I, th- I just realised that maybe it was a skills issue that there wasn't there weren't the skills there to to manage somebody's behaviour that was kind of second nature to me from my training, mm. but that spurred on an interest in aggression. I thought, wow, I wonder how much there is of this workplace aggression thing. And of course, as I started reading a bit more, I realised that it could be quite significant. And I guess we've all had uh, issues of lateral aggression or lateral violence where you uh, meet up with bullying behaviours and so on. But um, working in healthcare, uh, often the main source of aggression is from patients or their advocates, you know, their relatives, carers. And that's certainly what the research shows. Well, anyway, that sparked on my interest and I was doing a Master's of nursing and then I decided to extend that to a Master of Nursing with Honours which had a thesis component so I did a little bit of research there and uh, found some interesting findings around workplace aggression in that health service that I worked in, the bigger health service Uh, and uh, that's where I got a taste for quantitative methods Mm -hmm. um, and qualitative methods too I might say because that little piece of research I did in the health service that I was working for in New South Wales, it was um, the the statistics were shocking, but the feedback from the uh, from the people who were working in healthcare just absolutely blew my mind. It was just disturbing. So that was you know that's, that was in the early two thousands. And uh, I've done a little bit more. I did, w- was involved for my PhD, a very, very large national study of uh, medical practitioners in Australia, and I managed to uh, in- survey them on their experiences of workplace aggression. And, of course, it's very, very widespread amongst the medical profession as well. It's not as prevalent as nurses' experience, 
mm-hmm. but uh, still it's very high. On average, about 70% of Australian medical professionals experience workplace aggression within a 12-month period. Uh, nurses, as I've found out in more recent research, it's more like 95% plus. Wow. So uh, it's a common, it's a very, very common experience. Mm. Yeah, really shocking. And if I may give a plug, uh, a paper we just published in Collegian Journal uh, is uh, an, an analysis of the qualitative or feedback that we got from a sample of nurses and midwives in Victoria and that, again, very disturbing. It's titled in harm's way, uh, and uh, I really think that's what it is. So um, it's a pretty, it can be a hazardous profession. Uh, a lot of it's got to do with systems and processes. Some of it's got to do with skills, but mm. um, I think that it's uh, just, uh, it's one of those things that are called wicked problems. You know, there are many, many aspects to it that are really hard to manage in and of themselves individually and somehow we have to kind of bring together all all areas of policy, practice, legislation, you know, uh, design, uh, all kinds of things that uh, we need to do to try and solve it. And the evidence for what prevents and minimises aggression is not great. It's not very strong evidence. Um, so, yeah, look, it, it's a very interesting field. I do try and uh, investigate other other areas of interest as well. So, But it's still, it's one of those perplexing problems and I know it keeps coming back and I keep uh, ending up doing research around that area. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's great that you've kind of carved that out because it sounds like such important research to be done. Given how prevalent it is, I, I had no idea that it was such a high proportion of um nurse and staff or medical other medical professionals who um, experience that so it's finding out more about those the different factors involved and prevention and stuff Mm. sounds very important look i i could talk for a long time on this topic but i i don't think we should but you know people can read about it there's a there's a it's you know there's a lot of literature in this area but unfortunately no great answers yeah well i'll put your um your recent paper in the show notes as well and we can we can always put some other bits in there some of your papers if people want to have a look at it um so something else i wanted to talk to you about or ask you actually was really based on a re- reflection of mine this week um what i often do with my guests is use it as an opportunity to reflect on things that are going on with me and just see how what, what happens for them in their own lives um so for me, there's been a real period of change in the past couple of weeks. I've I decided to leave my job. I quit that and I'm moving on to something else. And it's it's brought up a lot of different feelings for me around um, th- this particular job was actually going very well, had a, had a good position in this organization and um, I had to do a lot, lot of work around thinking about what my vision for the future was. Um, and that led to me um, sort of wanting to leave this and move on to something else. And uh, you've obviously worked in lots of different roles. And I'd just be interested to know 
for you, um, how you've decided, what processes you've gone through to leave those roles, um, whether there has been, it was because you are unhappy, um, I suppose really about the emotional side of things and how you felt perhaps leaving jobs that maybe you've been in for a long time and what it was like leaving those teams that you'd worked in and maybe been a sort of integral member of or in a sort of leadership capacity. Um, Yeah, would it be right to talk about that? Yeah, sure, that sounds good. Uh, I joked with somebody today that uh, it's not often that I last in a job longer than about two or three years. (laughs) And uh, that's been interesting looking back on that. Um, And sometimes the change in jobs for me has been about an opportunity presenting itself. In fact, it often works that way so sometimes the change in my role comes about because of a position that becomes available within the organization say which i think is probably not that unusual for a lot of people um you know you develop skills you i guess you people decide that they can trust you or you know they feel that you're doing a good job and have something to offer in say in a more strategic way or whatever uh, so that's how it has been for me often. Uh, I do get itchy feet occasionally and I certainly get a bit frustrated when I feel thwarted. So if I am, I feel like I've got more to offer and perhaps if I feel that I need some recognition for that in some way, which might be like a role title and, and pay grade, um, then that can be a bit problematic. And I, really it was, it's either that or sometimes I get bored in the, oh, if that's in the past. I couldn't say that about academic work. Academic work is just full on. Uh, so it's not a matter of boredom, but um, uh, sometimes it's that you have particular priorities that just aren't able to be met within your current role. So that's sometimes been an issue as well. But, uh, yeah, um, I'm usually pretty strategic and uh, my wife and I talk about strategy around positions and roles and things. So sometimes we're, we engineer where what we're going to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, an example, I guess, would be when I finished my PhD, um, as I approached the the submission date, the question was, okay, there's that big post-PhD black hole because I did mostly did it full-time, had some part-time work, what, what's next? And uh, here's the thing, you know, I was looking just at SEEK to see what jobs were around and I saw my master supervisor's name on a position in Canberra. So I thought, oh, wow, I haven't spoken to Mary for ages. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so that I spoke to her and uh, yeah, by that February I had a position there at the University of Canberra. So, you know, there's a lot of sometimes it's fortuitous and you can imagine moving from Melbourne to Canberra was big. So this was a big negotiation between myself and my wife. So, um, yeah, Sharon and I had to make an agreement about that and how that would go and 
yeah, you know, we went there for a period of time and things changed there and the time was about right for the period of time that we thought we would see how it went and then we came back to Melbourne I had uh, secured another job at a, at a university here. And I think it was the same sort of thing really with the role that I have now that I just, you know, I felt that it was time for me to be moving onward and upward. And again, it was the presentation of an opportunity and the link with somebody I knew and I applied for the job and got it. So mm -hmm. I think that's the thing, you know, there's, it's a bit of a mix of, for me, changing jobs has been a bit of a mix of, um, not feeling quite right with how things are going and just some fortuitous thing that just presents itself. So there's definitely been a bit of that. Even yeah. when I was back doing nursing, I, th I was 27, I'm thinking, okay, I've got to do something with my life. What will I do? And then I saw an ad in the paper and I thought, wow, there it is, staring <laughs> me in the face. <laughs> and that's happened a few times. It's happened a few times. It's happened a few times where I've, you know, you have to be looking. You can't, you know, so I, I always keep abreast of what's happening in the field that I'm in. Um, mm -hmm. you, you're doing yourself a disservice, I think, if you don't. Keep an eye on what's going on around in your, in your field of work, nationally and internationally. And uh, certainly in academia, in academic work, you need to have an international perspective because you end up working with people around the world on projects. That's a, that's a hope, and it's a it's a great part of the job to be able to do that. So yeah, I think you, if you if you want to move on and move around and have different experiences, you've got to be looking. You've yeah. got to be looking out for them. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, no, 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 it does. I, I really love the way you've been, you know, like you said you've been quite strategic and it, I think it's, uh, you know, you, uh, you didn't explicitly say this, but to me it really sounds like, you know, you, you're quite a courageous guy. You know, you, you've obviously, because um, I think it takes quite a lot to, to leave a job as well. You know, people get very comfortable in their roles, their positions. You, I think importantly, we build relationships, don't we, with the people we're working mm. with and with an organisation. And I think people often feel quite committed to an organization at times and and um you know i think you're probably a bit of an outlier in in you know how much you've moved around and been willing to take that risk and that, that sort of thing not not everyone does that with their careers um and mm. i guess you, you've obviously benefited from that haven't you been able to explore different um aspects of clinical work and academic work and those sorts of things um so it's you know it's i find it really impressive and um, yeah. admirable what you've done um, so, something I'm curious about is, um, so I know for me... Well, look, to be honest, it's not just me, though. Right. It's not just me, though. Sorry, Nathan. No, that's okay. Carry on. Uh, I was just going to say, um, I noticed I've got an, in, uh, a, a, an, an unstable internet connection here, which is a bit of a problem. I was just going to say that it hasn't all been my direction, though, because um, my wife Sharon and I, it's a partnership, and we always go into these things together, and I think that's been really the fundamental thing about that, that uh, it's been that decision-making, a shared decision-making, we've gone for it together. Yeah. Which has made it so much, I think it's made it easier in a way. And, you know, if one or the other partner doesn't feel very comfortable about it, we either talk about it and, you know, sometimes we make a longer, okay, look, maybe not now, maybe in a couple of years or whatever. So uh. it's, 
it's it's sometimes that. But of course, you know, things change too. It's like, ah, uh, we said we were going to go to there, and then we were going to. Well, I think when we came to Melbourne, we were thinking about moving to another town first, and then coming to Melbourne. We thought, oh, let's just bypass that and go straight to Melbourne, which we did. <laughs> it's um, it's so interesting you mentioned about that that role of the relationship with your wife. I was really thinking. In fact, I had a conversation with my wife this morning, and we're talking about the fact that the past six months has been really challenging and difficult. And there's, there's been various things, some other things going on in our sort of personal lives. And also this big change for me with leaving my job and focusing on more on my business. And my wife was, you know, being very, very nice and sort of commending me for doing these things. And I said, well, you know, actually if I was on my own and I wasn't with you, then this would have been way more challenging. And I think it's, we sort of forget when you're in a, quite well functioning relationship that um that that is really supporting you with you know your mental health and also with important life decisions um and it sounds like you you've really benefited from that with with your wife as well sort of being a team um that's right Uh, that's exactly how we are yes in so many ways and in fact that paper that i was just mentioning earlier in fact sharon was the lead author on that oh wow how lovely (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we've we've been working together uh sometimes on similar teams in healthcare and uh on research projects as well so yeah we are quite a team but uh, yeah we have our own lives as well so yeah um, so something else I'm, I'm curious about is each time I've kind of moved on, I suppose if you move, moved upward or up leveled with, you know, with my career or into a role that feels like I'm, um, it's going to be more challenging for me, like a higher level of seniority. Um, you know, it's natural to have kind of fears about, you know, am I actually going to be good enough to do this? And uh, if there's new, there's new skills that you might not have yet and that sort of thing. So I'm actually just really interested to know, like with your current role, I know you've, you know, you've been there a couple of years. Are there things that you still kind of have worries about or fears about with respect to that role and, and like what you're meant to be doing and what your responsibilities are? Yes, I think there are, and often those things can be about, you know, can be a quantity of things happening all at once. So if you're having to juggle and keep a lot of balls up in the air, (laughs) that can be quite anxiety-provoking, I think. Uh, That's that's probably that's where I get most worried. Right. Is when I've got a lot of things going and they're not, you're not sure how they're all going to resolve, or am I actually going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to cope with all of this? Um, so that's that's probably the worst thing. I think that where I have deficits, I tend to declare them if it's if I think it's significant. Right. Um, but I try to do something about it. So if I'm missing a skill or something, I'll, I'll try and f- deal with that, you know, find out about it, read about it, ask somebody about it. I think usually, though, there's in most of my working roles, there's been a team. So, you know, it's working, having a good team uh, with you and working well together, that's so important. I think this is one of the things that I think about at the moment. I was, I've talked, we've talked about this a number of times over the last few weeks during these challenging times. 
uh, how important the team has been and, you know, being able to rely on people to do a, a, the best job that they can do and being, you know, have that, that sort of level of commitment that m- makes it easier in a way. Um, on the other side where the hard thing is where you have to confront people about poor performance or um, bad behaviour. So that's hard too. I mean, it's it's not an easy thing, but you do have to take up that challenge if you're in a role where you're required to work with people and manage them, be their supervisor, let's say. Yeah. And some somehow help them be accountable for what they're doing. Yeah, definitely. I am. So it is a mix of supporting and that, but it's you know, it's it's not easy. That's a that's another challenging aspect of many roles. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's something that people don't really get training in as well as, you know, that ability to, or that skill in providing feedback or discussing things that aren't Mm. going so well, or if there are interpersonal difficulties like within a team or something like that, reflecting on those bit more uh, things that stir up unpleasant emotions. Um, Yeah. I know for me, it's something I've really consciously tried to work on is giving feedback. I actually, um, I, I did some supervisor training and had to had to um, have a, a video of me doing a supervision session assessed. And one thing they said was, "You know, you're very good at giving nice praise and positive feedback, but you need you need to you need to make sure you're giving some constructive feedback as well." Yeah. Um, so it's something I've done a bit more recently, and you know, really noticed. Even though I've got a good relationship with the supervisee or the junior member of staff, that it's and I, you know I don't think it's something that I'm particularly bad at, but it's 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 quite it's hard, isn't it? You know, it makes us feel anxious that you know I, I don't know. For me, it's about wanting. I think maybe wanting people to like me in some way, and that they're you know it's going to make them dislike me if I tell you know give them this constructive feedback or criticism. Um, how, how about you when you when you're doing it? What sort of shows up for you? Well, I was just thinking, you know, sometimes we're a bit, we might feel a bit guilty because we know we're far from perfect ourselves. So, uh, you know, uh, I think, uh, that, that can be part of the story. I think, um, well, sometimes it's a matter of providing, uh, alternative viewpoints. Um, so, and helping the person, I think, make a choice or choices between various options which would work better, which would be fairer, which would be most supportive uh, for the people involved and that, that sort of thing. So I think, um, yeah, I don't think you have to be kind of dictatorial or too authoritarian i mean there's there are times when you have to tell people look this is just not on this is what you have to do if you don't do this then there'll be consequences yeah but uh, mostly i think you can work with people in a fairly constructive way whilst um, maintaining and maintaining integrity for everybody but at least uh, pointing them in perhaps considering different ways of acting and reflecting thinking that sort of thing yeah, I think for, for what sort of strikes me as you're talking is I I agree with what you're saying and I, I would, would take the same sort of approach and attitude towards things. But I just know other people don't don't see it that way and they find it this incredibly difficult thing. And I, I think 
part of it comes down to sort of those emotional intelligence skills. And I think also people's histories that they bring with them to those kind of conversations really has an impact. So I know if, if people had, you know, in their childhood, for example, if they were criticized heavily by their parents or that sort of thing, um, when they're when they're in that kind of conversation, it may, it may be even if they're giving the feedback or receiving it, it, it can feel very sort of threatening. Um, so it's yeah. yeah, I think it's it's a tr- tricky one, isn't it? Everyone is very different. It is. Look, I remember having a discussion with a um, with a student uh, a few years ago, and uh, she was quite a good performer, but she was it was very interesting because she took up the took had the courage to explain to me how my feedback was a bit upsetting. Um, merely because I used the word but in the middle of the sentence and I thought, wow, that's that's pretty sensitive. <laughs> um, you did this really well, but this wasn't so good. And I, I still haven't resolved that one because I'm I'm not quite sure, you know, so there's a problem for me. I don't know how I could have been, I haven't still haven't worked out how I could have been more supportive mm-hmm. um maybe i needed to put a full stop on the first bit and somehow introduce the negative bit in a slightly different way but anyway you know what i mean it's sometimes it's very hard to keep it all positive and going well and uh, yeah look i just dealt with a complaint recently from a student and i thought i was fairly constructive but look it got escalated up and there you go you just a complaint about <laughs> you, you just have to take no, not about me. No, oh. I complained about, uh, you know, things things that had been done okay. in in the in the in the school. But I think you just have to take those things on the chin. Sometimes, you know, you're not going to satisfy everybody, and um, people aren't going to necessarily be hundred percent happy with uh, what you propose. Or yeah, so you know, on a, on a, that that's that's just it. Yeah, I think that's just that's just the way things are. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you mentioned previously about, you know, when you, if you feel that you've got some skill deficit or something, you, you know, you would consciously try and work on that. I'm interested to know, you know, is there anything at the moment that you are, um, you know, from a self personal development perspective, you're working on like you've, you've realized, Hmm, this is something I'd like to change about myself at work or I don't know, even in your, even in your personal life or any skills that you are particularly working on at the moment. Uh, yes, but this might not go in the way you think it will. Um, so recently, um, it's a neighbour just waved to me. <laughs> it's a funny thing, isn't it? Uh, the recently, um, a guy got in contact with me about uh, some about, uh, and he contacted. Uh, the other members of a band I was in in the early 1980s and said, look, you know, I've just heard that album of yours that you never released. I want to get it remastered and uh, release it. He said, you know, I think it's amazing. And uh, uh, I haven't really picked up my bass guitars for a while, so, you know, they're here now. And um, after I finish uh, doing what I'm doing for my academic work, I've picked that up again and I've, you know, I've bought some new equipment and 
weirdly, it's so much cheaper than it used to be and it's smaller and easier to use. So uh, instead of a big, you know, I used to have this mixing desk. desk. It's only a four-track, but still it was elaborate and now I've got this tiny little thing and a piece of software on the computer that kind of does everything that that used to do in a fraction of the cost. So, yeah, that's my skill development at the moment is I'm trying to get a bit more competent at bass guitar again and, you know, and guitar and so on. And so yeah, looking at this has got nothing to do with my work really, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it's more personal, let's say personal redevelopment. Yeah. But it is quite weird that uh, that after all these years, I may have this, um, I and my bandmates will have our unreleased album released. <laughs> that is fantastic. Very weird. Yeah, there's something something that's really interesting about that. So, because I remember last time you, we t- spoke, you told me about those days where you were sort of, you know, it was rock and roll, and it was probably quite sort of partying that sort of thing when you were younger. And um, I wasn't in a band when I was younger, but you know, I certainly had my sort of partying days. And I, I definitely feel like there's, you know, there's been like an identity shift for me over over the years, and the way I see myself now is is very different. You know, it's probably it's calmer and a bit more focused on family and work and that sort of thing um it's interesting now you're picking that stuff back up um obviously you're, you're a bit, bit older now than you were then but did you um did you notice that identity shift did that happen for you and and at what point did that happen yes well i think i mentioned earlier about starting nursing in, at the age of 27 and I think yeah. that was where a big thing that was a big change then uh, and after about a year after I started nursing I met my wife at a nurse's home party so uh, that's you know that was it was quite a momentous period but of, of doing shift work it was very hard to do music and I really kind of put it aside it came back I played in a number of bands uh, in between time but they were much more secondary to what I was otherwise doing. Um, But, yes, look, um, I think those particular days, interestingly, we didn't have mobile phones or computers. Uh, If we wanted to see if somebody was home and wanted to go out or whatever, we often had to go around to their place and knock on their door. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it's not everybody had a telephone. And I think it was, in many ways, it was pretty chill back then. I did, like, I don't, I don't, you know, I, it was, it was fairly relaxed in many ways. uh, And I was definitely thinner and (laughs) fitter because I walked a lot, walked a a real lot. And, uh, yeah, yeah. but, yeah, the identity shift, I think, really came around about that period of time when I decided to do nursing and uh, all that came with it. It was a huge learning curve as well, you know, just you know, dealing with people with a serious mental illness and um, meeting a whole new bunch of, bunch of people with sometimes rather different ideas. It was very interesting, you know, and quite mind-expanding. So... Uh, yeah, I think a lot of things change, but I reckon I'm essentially the same person. I, I, you know, I, 
I can still be a little bit wild. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me more about that. Go on. <laughs> oh, you know. Now, and back back then, I suppose I wasn't I wasn't as educated about things like wine, for example. And, right. Uh, you know, that, that's a uh, that's a, a key. You know, it's a key aspect of my life and perhaps got to do with why I've got a few kilos more than I should have. So um, uh, I've that there are those sorts of things, the maturity and, and food, for example. I mean, I went back, back in those days, particularly when I was working as a musician, I usually only ate two meals a day because of the hours that I kept, which was like 11 p.m. to... 4 a.m. or something like that for, yeah. quite, for quite a few years. Uh, so, uh, yeah, a lot of things have changed, I guess. And these days I wake up at 6 o'clock a.m. So, you know, it's, it, there's lots of little things that I think are different. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think, I think I'm essentially the same person. And occasionally <laughs> I just get a bit out of hand, you know, and I'm realistic. <laughs> Yeah. What, Privately. What, do, <laughs> what what do you think your like twenty one year old self would say if he saw you now? Or say about you? Uh, yeah, look, that's a very good question. I, I almost would have to think about that. I do remember thinking when I was around on my twenty first birthday, I around about that time I remember thinking how old I would be in the year 2000 and that was quite a shock to think about that but um, of course the year 2000 has flashed by and uh, here, here we are here I am yeah um, yeah I really don't know I really don't know I, I, I would I would probably have wondered whether I still had a, an interest in uh, radical politics well you know I do in a way but uh, it's much more measured, you know. I'm, I guess I'm much more pragmatic. I think I could be a bit ideological and a bit dogmatic in a way when I was that age. Um, yeah, I'm probably just a bit more measured and pragmatic. I think that's probably the, the main things, and my tastes have definitely evolved. Finer wine. <laughs> yeah, good food. Yeah. And, you know, my musical tastes have changed a little bit too. But, uh, yeah, it's very interesting because when I listen to the music from the band, the critics, they're called, the band is called the critics from that time, even though it kind of went on for about four or five years, maybe even a little bit less. But um, it was just such a monumental period. And I still, when I listen to the music, I think, oh, yeah, it's, it's a bit 1980s, but... Um, Wow, we were bloody good. Really tight band, very interesting things that we were doing and I think it's uh, pretty impressive actually to think that I was doing that back then. And yeah. it's a shame, in a shame in a way that it, it, it didn't go on. But, uh, yeah, you know, that's yeah. life, life happens. Do you have any regrets from, from, from the past, from that? Oh, or no, 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 I mean, there, there were some things I think in my life I could have been a nicer person uh, but or done things with more maturity, but, of course, I didn't have maturity. <laughs> that was the problem. I was a young bloke and, yeah, you can look back, I think, in, if you had, if you had 
if you're able to go forward and then look back and then go back again, then it might make a difference. But uh, no. So no, I don't really have any regrets. It probably would have been nice if I'd started my academic career a bit earlier, but when I went to university, it was all sex, drugs and rock and roll. So that was, you know, that was the story really. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like a fantastic time. It's, um, I think it's, you know, it's really great to hear about stories about people like yourself who, I don't know, especially for young, younger people who are um, say that, 18, 19, 20, 21, doing their undergraduate degree who feel a lot of pressure from society, from parents, from peer mm. groups to have things figured out and, and feel like they need to know what they're going to do at 21 or 22. Um, and I think it's it's really great to hear when people like yourself, you know, you've dabbled a bit with being in a band and those sorts of things. It wasn't until your late 20s that you know, I suppose quite fortunately you found nursing and that ended up being the thing that you were really passionate about. But, um, mm. you know, people, you know, it's just important that people do keep their options open and life is long, isn't it? For most people. Yes. Well, I think it is. I think it is for most people and it's getting longer mm. and that's, that's a big change in, in uh, human history and human society. So, uh, and I think the idea of a career is ludicrous. Yeah. Uh, I think people, the norm will be that people have many careers. Yeah. Um, it could be four or five would, might be become normal. Yeah. Very normal. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Um, Danny, I know we're going to have to finish up soon. So I just got one last question. Um, you obviously, you know, we talked before that you you actually think quite strategically about the future. I'm just, I'm interested whether you you've thought at all about who you, the person you want to be moving forward, and um, whether you know who you want to become. What's important to you about the next several years of your life, or even beyond that? I'm starting to think about that more, actually, as you know, as I'm moving towards retirement age. You know, that and thinking, well, I've. I've had a discussion, quite a few bit of discussion with my wife about this naturally, and I mean, she says the same thing. She can't imagine me not doing something constructive, you know, work of some sort. Uh, that's becoming more. It's not becoming as abnormal as it used to be. This notion of retiring used to be that you stop working and you kind of moved in towards the last bit of your life but it's just not like that anymore and I think it's going to be that's how it's going to be unless I became very very wealthy all of a sudden and I just still think that I'd do something that was vocational in some kind of way not just a hobby but something that actually was meaningful and maybe continue to earn an income so uh, I'm not 100% sure what that will be yet mm. but I can imagine that in future years I'll probably move to something back to something that's got uh, more uh, you know like it, that's in that provides some social good in some way not sure what that will be a bit hard to tell at this stage yeah it sounds, it sounds sounds like you're pretty happy with who you are as a person. You seem like somebody who's quite comfortable with with who they are, and um, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it makes things a bit easier, yeah, I guess, doesn't it? You're not feeling like you've got lots of um, loads of self work to do, and actually just focusing on the you know extending the the things that are interesting to you and important to you with your career and um, 
Yeah. Well, look, I would say this one thing that I think nursing and, uh, in fact, any of the health professions, um, you know, psychology, social work, um, physiotherapy, occupational therapy, any of these, you know, inherent in that work where you're working with people, uh, you really do have to confront some of your own uh, issues, characteristics, shortcomings, whatever. So uh, I think doing this kind of work, working with people, uh, is can be a really constructive experience and can help you come to terms with any issues you may have, I think, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely agree with that. Well, Danny, it's been wonderful talking to you again. Thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Um, and like I said, I'll, I'll put some links to your research and stuff in the show notes. Um, and hopefully we, can you, catch, hopefully we can catch up again soon. There we have it, another episode. Since recording these podcasts, something I've realised is how much I love talking to nurses. It's actually really helped me realise that as an occupational group, there are a bunch that I'm keen to focus my energy on with my business. I think nurses are chronically underappreciated and undervalued in society and in healthcare. And whilst many academics are doctors, we see a lot of the published research literature coming from medics. The academic work of nurses needs to be praised and recognised too. And this is because of the way at which it helps improve the design of services and delivery of healthcare. So all of us are patients at some times in our lives and this kind of work that Danny and others are doing is just really crucial for helping improve those services and the kind of care that we get. If you're someone listening to this podcast and you know someone you think would be a good guest or you'd like to come on yourself, then please don't hesitate to email me at Nathan at nathanillman.com and my second name is spelt I-L-L-M-A-N. Bit of a funny name, you've heard it right, Illman, like an ill person. I'm always looking for people in healthcare who are willing to open up and share with others their world, so yeah, just get in touch if you know someone or you'd like to come on. Thanks as always for listening to the podcast. I hope you're well wherever you are and I'll see you next time for another episode of Beneath the Armour.